Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have redefined our lives, not in anything that we have done, but in that you have sent your Son to die on the cross for us, and that he rose again from the dead, and that we have the uh, privilege of coming to him in faith and asking for that salvation. And that has made all the difference. Nothing that we have done ourselves, but you have in grace stepped into our lives and remade us, redefined us, told us who we are because now we understand who loves us like no other. And for that we give great thanks and praise to you. Amen. Well, before I begin this morning, um, I just want to say something. You know, I know I'm not the most handsome guy. And I know that I'm, you know, not very smart, and I'm not very talented, and I'm not very athletic or coordinated. And I know that sometimes my singing voice sounds like a, a, a dying bird, or uh, and sometimes I act like I probably couldn't pour water out of a boot if there were instructions on the heel. But what I want to say, um, well, this is embarrassing. I forgot where I was going with that. Anyway, welcome to the chapel this morning. It's just great being here, isn't it? That's what you call self uh, whatever it is, putting yourself down kind of humor, right? And you know, years ago that used to be pretty funny. Uh, there were a lot of guys who used to do that. There was a guy named Don Rickles. He didn't put himself down. He put everybody else in the world down. And um, somehow, believe it or not, that flows into what we're going to be talking about this morning. The idea of uh, biblical love is self-love biblical and, and all of that. You know, uh, back in the, in the 70s, the nation... Oh, you know, I, I should add to whatever I said about myself. I know some people are going to appreciate when I get done. They're going to come up and compliment me on my humble and accurate evaluation of myself, right? <laughs> But, you know, back in the 70s, this nation went through this huge crisis, sort of like an identity crisis. And a lot of us were pretty young back then. And it was just like, who are we as a nation and who are we as people and what is authority all about? And, and we were having all these, uh, all these troubles trying to break away and find our independence. Well, the church was doing the same thing back then. And what was kind of interesting is that's, when, that's at the time when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I remember hearing, I don't know if I was the first to hear, but I think I was on, I, I was there when it happened. People, somebody started talking about, you know, self-love is biblical. I said, what? No, self-love is biblical. You know why? Because it says, love your neighbor like yourself. Well, if you can't love yourself, you're not going to love your neighbor. And I remember people getting quite caught up in all of that. After all of these years, uh, I'm sure that some good things came out of that. And, and we're not talking about the extremes today, uh, people who really have no sense of worth for themselves and uh, people who are self-destructive. We're just talking about the general idea. And my kind of evaluation of looking at that since the 70s is um, there may have been two or three things, good things that came out of that whole discussion about loving ourselves. But generally speaking, we as people are pretty clever. And we can take that kind of stuff and work it around so it just 
kind of heads in the direction we want to go anyway, which is pretty much self-absorption. So um, we are going to be looking at this today, uh, hopefully from a biblical perspective, and uh, see what the Lord has to say about it. And I want to say this right off the bat. Um, Self-love is biblical. I mean, Jesus kind of says it's going to be, right? If you have to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, there, there must be some kind of general way that we can think about that. Uh, it seems like the emphasis really is in loving your neighbor, but he throws it back in loving yourself. There's another verse, that, and we'll get to a bunch of verses, but just to throw this in, where it says that husbands should lie, love their wives as their own body. For no, nobody ever does harm or treats his body wrong. Well, we, we know extreme examples of that. But God expects us to have a certain mindset. Now, what's biblical and non-biblical uh, is kind of what we'll be looking at. So, if you have a Bible, we're going to start out looking at Matthew uh, 22:39. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in this passage, I'll, I'll read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, um, it says, uh, starting in verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. A lawyer asked no, no offense, Chair, um, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to them, "You shall love your neighbor with, uh, you shall love your God, Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets." So, in what Jesus is saying here, um, this is kind of coming out of a uh, little bit of a controversy here, and Jesus gives them the entire context. The context is the good thing to look at, not just go to that second verse, because I think that second verse actually gets defined in the first verse. You know, in talking with the youth, when we were talking about the, the gospel, and, made the, and there's an old acrostic that uh, CEF has, what is the gospel? The first step is, the first word, G, God loves you. But see, that love needs to be defined, right? That isn't a love... Uh, that means that we can go ahead and do everything that we want to do. How did God show His love? Oh, He sent His only perfect Son. And somehow, even in understanding God's love, there needs to be some kind of definition because we're pretty clever people. We'll take things a hundred different ways pretty much to go in the direction that we want to go in. So when Jesus says... The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to take that first part first. And he says there, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, you've heard about the word agape, right? The word agape is, is God's love. It's unconditional. And so basically what Jesus is saying here, you need to agape the Lord your God. Use God's love against him or toward him, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So a couple things about this. Uh, first of all here, uh, if you guys are familiar with this verse in the Old Testament, there's four things here, four things. In the Old Testament, there's only three. 
It's with all your heart and soul and might, I think. The Greek didn't know what to do with that Hebrew word because that word at the end has to do with all of your creative energy. It has to do with all of your intellect. All of what you were able to produce with the strength of your hand. That's in one word in Hebrew. So the Greeks had to take it into two words. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of who you are. That's pretty cool. And so here's the idea. How can you love God like that? How can you love God like that? This is the context. It really helps when you know God's love. Right? It really helps when you understand what He Himself has done for you. That's all of the Old Testament. Always to remember how He saved and how He brought this plan of redemption down from Adam and Eve. He gave them the promise and how He brought this thing to completion. Our worth is in Jesus Christ. Our worth is in God's love to us. The better we understand that, the better we understand everything else. And what do we understand about God? He loves us unconditionally. He loves us when we didn't even love Him. And this huge, enormous, magnificent plan of salvation and redemption has come right down to us God orchestrating all of the small parts, making sure somebody shared the gospel with us, that he had brought our lives to a place where we could actually be receptive. And so here is that great first commandment. You, therefore, in the flush of this excitement, in the, the um, weight of this reality, should love the Lord your God with everything you are. Now, just to say, hardly any of us do that. We all struggle with it. We all want to get there. This is the road we're going to be on until we see Jesus face to face because we still struggle with things. But here, because of the excitement and the reality of our salvation, we should learn every day. We should be walking in such a way. We should be reading, spending time with the Lord so that we love Him with all of our heart with all of our life force, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and everything we think about, with all of our strength and everything we do. Now, if that's the context, verse 2 becomes pretty easy then. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Neat way to boil that down. So God is expecting the love, the agape, He has shown to us we need to agape our neighbor. I very seldom speak in Greek, even though my family background is Greek. The only thing I learned from the Greeks is a love for oregano and garlic. But see, the same word is used. God loved us with agape. We are to love Him in that same way, unconditionally. And we are to love our neighbor as ourself, that same way. And see, that's the context. So the thing is, you want to talk about having a balanced approach to this? You want to talk about making sure that we aren't inordinate and we're running all over the place and calling everything biblical love and everything? It's all in Him. 
and what He did for us. And therefore, we are to love our neighbor. And we're going to be talking about some of the specifics of what that looks like. But yeah, self-love in this sense, in this biblical sense, is totally biblical and I hope we all have it. But see, it all originates out of an appreciation for what He's done for us. It is so easy to lose the glow of our salvation. The, the, in, the, in Revelation, the church in Ephesus lost their first love. That was it. The joy, the sparkle, the wonder of what He's done for us. And see, the thing is, so much of life becomes a grind, even as a believer, when you lose that. That's why we need to stay in the text. That's why we need to have our heart every day out before the Lord. Because we're talking to Him. And He's keeping that thing fresh in so many ways. So, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. The focus here is loving our neighbor. Now, who is our neighbor? Don't ask that question. The guy in the Bible who did, didn't come out good. Right? Well, you know, the word means the one next to you, the next one. And the etymology of that, you know, trying to figure out where that comes from is kind of murky, but it looks like it came out of uh, slavery. The one in the next bunk. Caring for one another in that sense. Your neighbor is the one next to you. And I think that particularly in our day and age, um, the N-word is a good word because God uses that, I think, to get the word out, we all live in different places and we all have different neighbors and people we work with. So, we're going to look at this a little bit more. You know, um, there are different places in the word where this appears. The first place where it appears is in Leviticus chapter 19. Of all places, in Leviticus. And it's, um, it's kind of interesting. This is obviously why the Jews knew this so well. Um, Yeah, I marked my Bible, and I, I can never find where I marked it here. i got to use highlighters or something. Um, okay, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Brother and neighbor kind of being synonymous in this, in this way. Um, it, you know, and look at it the other way. Your neighbor is actually your brother or sister, whether they're a believer or not. Uh, lest you incur sin because of him, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what God is saying here is in your relationships with other people, and the Israelites in particular in this context, but we would say, I mean, Jesus extends this to everyone, um, Showing that love means don't let anger brew. Take care of things. And when you go into this larger context, it's having to do with honesty, honest dealings, showing love in this way, giving them the same kind of respect that you would want yourself. Um, So loving your neighbor is basically uh, taking care of personal issues, looking out for them, making sure that there's no problem between you and your neighbor. Or whatever. Um, One of the interesting places where this comes out is in Exodus, and don't turn there, but it's you're going on your way and you see your enemy's ox or donkey running off. Now, see, 
unbiblical self-love would be, yes, yes, run far away. Hopefully he'll never find you again. See, back then, this was the economy, man. If you lost your, your donkey or you lost your ox, you may be out of, out of business. You know, but it says there, if you see that happen, go and grab them and take them. Because your enemy is also your neighbor in this sense. If you see your, your enemy's donkey uh, buckled down under a load, you don't just walk by and say, well, that's his business. He's a moron. You do something about it. This is that love your neighbor as yourself. In James... And you don't, you don't have to go there. This isn't like a Bible sword drill. But I want to show how this just gets used in different ways. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you do well. James is calling it the royal law. <clears throat> it's like this thing of loving your neighbor as yourself is really important. And then in Galatians... Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I have the same question you do. Paul couldn't count. There's like, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words right there. But you know, the Ten Commandments are actually called the Ten Words. So he's talking about the commandment here. And he's saying the whole law, the whole law is summarized in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is pretty important, isn't it? If you were a Jew hearing that, uh, you would be thinking to yourself, holy cow, what about loving the Lord your God? See, the thing is, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor is the expression of that. Right? I mean, we think the expression of our love for God is praise and worship, and that certainly is part of it. But if that's all we have, and we don't have loving your neighbor as yourself, they're saying here you're not fulfilling what God wants to be fulfilled. So, Romans 13, very interesting passage here. In Romans 13, verse 8, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another is has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So, we're, we're hearing it again from Paul, but here's the context that is so interesting. Verse 11, Besides, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The idea here, Paul goes from love your neighbor to yourself as saying, we are in the place at the end of the... We're, 
at the end of this thing that God is doing in salvation, we need to tell people. Rather, chapter 13 is about whether you should pay taxes, whether you should be the authorities. Paul basically says, never mind, there's something much more important going on here. Here's the deal. You're going to follow God, then you need to love other people. To love other people means to be involved in the harvest. We're coming to the end. And so Paul actually then, for these Roman believers, is giving them a context. He's giving them an application. He's saying, you want to love your neighbor as yourself? Here's a very practical way of doing it. Be a witness for Jesus Christ. Tell them what's going on. Now, there are a lot of things that we do in between in loving our neighbor as ourselves. There's a lot of things we do with one another to stir up one another for love and good works and to strengthen one another. As harvesters, we get beat up all week long, right? And we have doubt and we're, we hem and haw and we have all these problems and everything. We come together to strengthen one another. Why? Because of the harvest. Because of the witness of Jesus Christ. We need to get out there and tell these people about it. And Paul, in Romans 13 of all places, says, Hey guys, stop it! Stop Meckering about the government. Start complaining. You know, you know, when you got nothing positive going on in life, complaining brings you together, right? He's saying, forget all of that. You are here for a purpose. And the night is far gone. Salvation is nearer to us now. Remember the time. Remember the time. Remember what it was like when you didn't know and somebody went out of their way to help you. You know, Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for a friend. How about lays down his life for a neighbor? Love your neighbor as God has loved you. Jesus gave himself. Jesus was willing to stand in the middle of amazing aggression so that we could be saved. That's definitely loving us, right? I want to encourage you. Uh, right here, you know, at this portion in the message, just to think about the fact that God is calling us to stand and show this love in an unbelieving world where a lot of people are not going to be saved. We need to take the chance in loving our neighbor to risk scorn, to risk embarrassment, to risk being rejected, to risk people saying that we're idiots. The love of God was shown in that He sent His Son. We praise God in love because He did that. And now He says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to show a, we're going to show a, a, a video clip here. Um, saw this in a movie I was watching recently. I forgot this was in there. What would it be like to be standing in a room of people who were going to their death, and you were the only one who knew it. Would you be willing to stand up and try to at least get in the way? That would be loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'll say this real quick because you won't understand this clip because we're kind of right in the middle of it. There's a storm coming, and the temperature is going to drop to 150 degrees below zero. Everyone who walks out of that room will die. Would we, for the sake of love, in loving our neighbor, we're willing to stand in the way. And you'll see this guy's dilemma here. You know, it says, the, uh, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and those who go that way are many. And, you know, I mean, it's just a, sort of a, a little clip, but this is what people that you and I know are facing. 
And folks, somebody's got to get in the way. And that's why Jesus left us here, to share the love of God with them, to care enough about them, because we know what's going to happen, and they don't. And it was just moving for me to see that clip and see all those people walk past them. All those people died. You know, at least he stood in the way. Now, one of the ways, one of, one of the, the um, additions to the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself is what we call the golden rule. And this is in Matthew chapter 7. And it's kind of interesting uh, because Jesus says something um, about it. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, do so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, I thought loving your neighbor as yourself was the law and the prophets. This is sort of a way to further define and add to what he is saying about loving your neighbor by yourself. This is the expression of what you wish that people would do for you, do to them. In a way, it's kind of a neat thing because it adds something personal about you and your personality. Now, generally speaking, right, if I'm going the wrong way, I want you to tell me I'm going the wrong way, right? On the other hand, if you just found out that you can get a 52-inch flat-screen TV for 50 bucks and you don't tell me, I might be mad at you. But I would tell you for sure, you know, because I, I always like bargains like that and share it. You know, I'll get on, I'll irritate people to death sending it on, on text messages. But the thing is, see, that's kind of like with us. We, all of us are built differently. So you're, the impact that you can have on your neighbor or people in your workplace, um, sharing, you know, making sure that your uh, co-worker is understood. Like the boss read him wrong. You go in the office and say, you know, I, I think you didn't understand what Bill was saying there. You know, for his sake, because do unto others as you wish or you would have them do unto you. I should say in Milwaukee, the caveat on that was like, do unto others as you would have them do, but do it first. You know, anyway. You know, uh, when I was in seminary, uh, there were <clears throat> we had uh, three kids while I was in seminary. And during the birth of the first two, I mean, we lived kind of rough and ragged, down and out in the city of Dallas. It was kind of fun, as I think back now, but not exactly while we were living in it. And I don't even know how we made it. I, I frankly don't know how we made it. But one day, there's a knock on the door, and this guy and his wife show up on our door with bags of groceries. And, I mean, we were kind of living on food stamps during that time and everything. And uh, from our church, and our church was a very giving church, they come in with these bags of groceries. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is they loved us. They, they did for us what, uh, as they wished others would do for them. Because, see, they bought us a whole different kind of groceries than we bought. You know? So we got to see all the stuff they liked. And I mean, we're looking through these bags going, look at the tortilla chips here, man. They're multicolored. We never buy multicolored tortilla chips. And bean dip. We never have bean dip. And all this stuff in a bag. And it was like, how cool that they, they kind of did for us what they would do for themselves. It adds something to the way we love other people. What's in your personality? What has God put in there? Now, one of the weird examples in the Bible of Somebody who loves, uh, did unto others as he wished they would do for them was kind of an ironic uh, example, but it's just funny. In the book of Esther, 
So in the book of Esther, you have Xerxes or Ahasuerus or whatever his name is. And I know it in a different language and it comes out completely bad. Let's just call him Xerxes. I like saying words that, end, that start with Xerxes or X or whatever. So he and this guy Haman are friends, right? And Haman hates this guy Mordecai. And Xerxes has a, he can't sleep one night, so he calls this guy in and he says, you know, read, the, read from the journals for me. And he reads from the journals and he finds out that, that uh, somebody saved his life. And uh, he says, has anybody given him a gift or done good for him? And, and he said, no, we just completely forgot about this guy. So he says, who's standing out in the court? Haman, his, his BFF is standing out in the court. He says, bring Haman in here. And he says to Haman, what should I do for the man? That I want to, ex- excuse me, extremely honor. Well, Haman thinks, man, who does God want to honor more than me? So he does to himself what he wishes he would do to himself or, or something like that. It's all confusing. So he says, well, I think what you ought to do is put a purple robe on him and then, then put him up on a, ho- on your own horse and have some official walk around and go, here is the man that, that the king honors. And the king looks at him and he says, go out and do that for Mordecai. And this was like the worst day of his life. And it only got worse. So he did unto others as he wished people would do unto him. But it's a principle in there. And Jesus said this is also the fulfilling of the law. And one more. And this is one I want to spend a couple minutes with. Having interest in others. Look at Philippians. This is kind of an interesting passage. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is one of those, again, amazing passages in the Bible where it talks about Jesus. In verse 4, or in verse 3, if you want to start there, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And and what he's saying is, those things, rather than looking only to your things, and that's basically what it says in the Greek, looking to the things of yours, look to the things of other people. Paul is saying, be interested in the affairs of other people. It's kind of, it, the, the word has to do with examination. So now, when you think of loving your neighbor as yourself, is there any sense of really getting to know who your neighbor is? Uh, there's a joke in Germany, and it's like uh, Mr. Schmidt goes over to Mr. Heimbuck. Mr. Heimbuck's sitting out there at the fence, and Schmidt's a, a believer in everything. So Schmidt goes out to Heimbuck, and Heimbuck's working in the garden. He says, hey, Herr Heimbuck, wie geht's? Heimbuck looks up, and he says, is there an evangelist in town? And Schmidt goes, how did you know there's an evangelist in town? Heimbuck says, it's the only time you ever talk to me. Taking interest in other people, taking interest in your neighbors, taking interest in the people at work, getting to know them. You know that a lot of non-Christians, when they come to church, they don't want to come back because they don't think we like them. But actually getting to know people. Now, the interesting thing and what makes us, gives us kind of its salvation ring here, it says, let, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus had our interests in mind. And he was willing to step into our world. He was willing to pour out himself, get involved with messy mankind so that we could be saved. And I think part of this idea then of loving your neighbor like yourself has to come down to the idea of showing that same love to them, but be interested in them. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Now, for an interesting twist on this, you get to the end of, of this chapter and look at verse 18, uh, 28. It says, I am the more eager to send him, Timothy, therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again and I may be less anxious. Oh boy, I'm sorry, I messed that up. Um, it's... Okay, verse 19, I'm sorry. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you that Philippians were under pressure. And so Paul is wanting to send Timothy to get some information, make sure that they're doing okay. Look at what he says in verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, aren't you glad they didn't have Twitter back then? Can you imagine the other disciples getting this tweet from Paul? Thank God for Timothy. I have no one like him. They're all interested in their own affairs, not those of Jesus Christ. If I were Silas, I'd be going, hmm, I thought Paul liked me too. And Demas, well, he was a rat anyway. He took off on Paul. But the point being, I think they were all very serious-minded, and, and Timothy stood out. I have no one who will be genuinely interested for your, be concerned about you. They all look after the things of their own. But here's the caveat, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy's interest in them generated from Christ, from Jesus himself. So, here's the thing that I want to throw out here, because I know I need to get off the clock pretty soon. But how is your neighbor going to know that Jesus is interested in them? Because He is. He is. Unless it comes through you. How is Jesus gonna, your neighbor going to have any possible idea of how much He loves them and what He has done unless you are willing to love your neighbor and do to them as you would have done to yourself, that you would express interest and be concerned about their things in this tiny slice of life on earth that God has given to us. Loving our neighbor as ourself is a huge thing. It is a mammoth thing. And I think the more you understand the love of Christ and the more that flows through you, the more strength. I, listen, I'm a, I'm a chicken heart. I really am. I am a chicken heart to the core. But motivated by the love of Christ, I know that everything I hear bad about myself, that I feel bad about myself, forget that. How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear unless you go over and talk to your neighbor? You talk to the guy or the lady at work. Now I'm going to give you an assignment before I run out of here. And the assignment is, for this whole year, 
And this is just for me. This isn't from the elders. And this isn't from the ladies' committee or anybody. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to get zapped with lightning. But it's a real easy way to do something pretty important. So I'm going to show this video. I think you're going to figure out what it is. And when the video is done, I'm going to close in prayer and the praise team is going to bring our service to an end. Heavenly Father, you have uh, put this treasure in earthen vessels. But you've put a treasure in here. It's something uh, of greater value than we could ever imagine. It's of such great value that if we found it in a field, we would with joy go and sell all that we had so that we could buy that field. And if, if it was a pearl, we would sell all that we had and we would, would purchase that pearl and there would be a sense of joy. We just pray that you would give us a sense of joy for what you have done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we know so many people that have no clue they're, they think they're going in the wrong direction and or in the right direction, but they're going in the wrong direction, and we know it. And they're all around us. They walk past us every day. And so, Father, my prayer would be that you would give us the courage not to hold a theological dis, uh, uh, discourse with them or anything like that, or have to dump out the whole dump truck of of, of witnessing to them, but to get to know them. And, and, and to invite them to church. On any given Sunday, there could be hundreds and hundreds more people in church because people come because they know somebody that they trust and like and they say yes sometimes to that invitation. You have given this body of believers a great strength in our understanding of our Lord Jesus and our understanding of the Bible. And Father, I'm speaking maybe for myself, but I think there are many hearts here who would also say, but we want to see fruit. We want to see new life spring into existence. We want to see what Jesus can do in somebody right off the street. And we want to lead them and help them and guide them and shepherd them to be disciples who will follow him. And so, Father, my prayer would be that you would give us this privilege. But it starts with us. We need to... Uh, we need to say the word. We need to go out and invite someone. We need to take interest in them for the sake of Jesus Christ. Give us the strength, we pray, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.